everybody. Um, I am back here today with another episode of Breaking Boundaries by Barbell Apparel. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Nathan, Nathan Suji. He's a Barbell Apparel athlete. Um, he's been working, us, working with us for a while now. And uh, if you've seen him on any of our social media, he's the one with just insane amounts of acrobatic ability and probably some of the craziest flexibility I've ever seen. Nathan, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm doing well. I just got back from my morning ride, so legs are a little sore, cardio's intact, and just had to get the heart rate going before the before I came back here. So when I'm sitting, I'm actually still doing something. Yeah, yeah, I feel, yeah, I went for a quick run uh, this morning before we sat down to talk. I, I read in the show, the, the show notes for my prep that you don't like running at all. <sighs> yeah, I was, I was about to, it's, I just, I can't, we invented wheels for a reason. Our feet are flat. They are not round. Like if you watch animals run, they got four legs, right? We have two because we're not meant to run. It's just, I don't know. Running's really difficult on my body. Like, yeah, there's, it, I know it's good for you. And I, it looks fun. Just, nah, I, I can't. Now I'm with you. I don't like running at all. Uh, <laughs> I, and I historically haven't run much. I had like a two-year stint where I tried to run like well and worked up to running about a marathon. And um, I was never very fast. And I never liked it. So I was like, forget this. I'm not going to do it anymore. But uh, my wife recently is really taken to running. So I was like, I guess I'll do it a little bit more just so that I can like go run, you know, like something easy, like a half marathon with her or something. But that's not uh, easy. Yeah, every, there is nothing running, easy yeah. about a half marathon. There's nothing easy about a marathon. That's 26 more miles than I ever want to run in my life. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you know, I'm naturally a bit of a more muscular person. So anytime I'm running and I look at people that are good at running, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're cut of a different cloth for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're light, small people. Yeah. No offense, said, Kyle. Uh, yeah. Kyle, uh, <laughs> Kyle and Josh uh, at the office are killing it. Uh, for those who are watching the show and don't know, Kyle and Josh are two of my team members that have been working with Barbell Apparel uh, for years now and are the ones that connected Nathan with us. So um, they're, they're avid runners. They run ultra marathons and stuff and they're, fairly big guys. And actually in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be interviewing a guy named Alex Fiata who, um, who runs like he's, he's run like hundred kilometers. And uh, that, that's like the guy a, who like uh, metabolizes lactic acid faster than he creates it. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I've known him for a long time, but I, I haven't um, talked about that fact, but he's like 240 pounds of pure muscle. He's, he's been like a highly competitive power lifter. You can Google a picture of him afterwards, but, um, he's run these crazy distances at that weight. So I guess we don't have uh, all the excuses. 240 in an ultra marathoner. Yeah. Yeah. And he can deadlift like, you know, 800 pounds and stuff like that. He's a, he's a monster. So like, these are called superheroes. They actually exist and I'm not one of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. And I would, I would disagree with that. You do have some superpowers if people watch uh, what you do. It's just a different kind of superpower, you know, his is probably more, you know, pain tolerance and you know, just kind of like grind it out, even though it's terrible. And your superpower is, uh, insane amounts of coordination and flexibility. Um, just to give the listeners a little bit of background on you, you've been doing gymnastics since basically you could walk and always <laughs> yeah. talk about that a little bit more. But over the course of your your career, you had three national titles, eight All-Americans. Um, after college, you performed in Cirque du Soleil. Since then, you've been on America's Got Talent, The Ellen Show, 
uh, NBA halftime shows. You've amassed 334,000 TikTok followers and 421,000 Instagram followers. And that's how we got connected with you uh, because we saw you doing just absolutely insane stuff in our jeans. And we're like, we got to get to know this guy. So um, for anyone that hasn't seen that yet, pause the, pause the podcast, go uh, look up Nathan Suji on Instagram and make sure you see some of this crazy stuff he's doing because it is death defying. It's a good time. You know, the craziest thing for me, um, I was talking to, you know, my agents and the thing is with the, the way the world is, you know, modeling and agencies, they're always trying to go here, go there. Who's going to be the highest bidder? Who's going to be this? And I, I got a new agency recently. And the first thing I told them, barbell's not going anywhere because the funny thing is the very first video that I had on TikTok was the first one that started to go viral about a two-ish years ago, roughly two years ago. That was the video. I think Kyle's wife or someone was like, dude, you got to get this guy some stuff. So I had no followers on TikTok. I had, at this point, when that happened, I had maybe 20,000 followers on Instagram. And Barbell was there. Like, okay, we see something. We like this kid. And that was the first big shipment of like social media stuff that came in. I was like, Oh, so this does work. I will focus on social media now. But like Barbell was ground one, like ground zero, so early adopter of like, we like you, we support you. And that's whenever I have like a talk with my agencies or anything, it's like, okay, first off, Barbell, these are my guys. I have, we have grown together. And I honestly attribute most of my success online to Barbell Apparel because the reason my stuff works is there's plenty of people more flexible than me. There's plenty of people doing the stuff that I do and it's way harder. But when they make the video, they post it, you know, wearing regular shorts in a gymnastics gym or they're doing it in a circus gym or they're doing it in a costume. And what's really getting people riled up in the comments is he's wearing jeans. He's wearing a button up. He's wearing a polo. He's wearing dress pants. He's wearing you insert whatever clothes it is. But Barbell is allowing me to wear what looks like normal street clothes and do very abnormal things. And when you combine that, it seems like that's what the internet wants. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. And I mean, we, we, as a philosophy, like to just work with good people doing amazing things. And as soon as we saw the stuff you're doing, we're like, yeah, we got to work with this guy. <laughs> Cause it's, uh, you, you really do capture kind of like one of the core ethos or missions of our company and I don't know that we've always done the best job communicating this, but like we'll show a lot of ads where people are doing, you know, crazy stuff in the polos or their jeans or whatever. And, you know, people go wild in the comments too. They're like, I would never work out in jeans. It's like, yeah, you know, that's not the point. The yeah. point is that it's like before our company existed and things have changed over the years, but it's like a lot of clothing that wasn't athletic wear felt really, really restrictive. And it's like, this mm -hmm. is not fun to wear. And even just like going about your normal day, you feel like, like, even, like I can't really move how I want to or how my body feels like it should move. And so we wanted to make clothing that allowed people to kind of like move however their body needed to, no matter what their day brought, you know what I mean? Like obviously yeah. a lot of the day I'm sitting in a chair, but sometimes it's like, I got to get up and I got to do something active. And it's nice to have clothing, even like polos and, and jeans and stuff. Um, perform how I needed to when I needed yeah. to. So uh, when we saw you doing that stuff, we were like, all right, you know, for anyone that has a question about what you can do in our clothes, look at this, <laughs> yeah. look at this guy and then look at like Martins Lisi's world's strongest man. And somewhere <laughs> in that spectrum, you're going to be able to, to get what you need out of the clothes. But uh, yeah, my dad's um, 280 and he's like, are you, I don't think like, I'm not going to be able to fit. And I'm like, look at Martins. 
He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. And that was one of my favorite ads. It's like, we asked the world's strongest man what he thought about barbell jeans. He's like, I like barbell jeans. And it was so simple. <laughs> it's just like, I love that one. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, you said your dad's 280? Yeah. He's, nice. a, he's a mixture um, of fit and uh, retired. We'll yeah, put it nicely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, I mean, you're... When I was looking at, I, th- I think like one of the, the college bios on you said you're five eleven. Yeah, so there's there's a photo that I'd have to find. Um, I was at national team trials and I was rotating with the guys from the Olympic Training Center because most of the other college teams have you know, like ten guys there, eight guys there. I was the only guy from my team, so I got stuck in the rotation of oh we'll just plug him in with this group of people, and it was the Olympic Training Center guys, the ones that live in Colorado Springs. They're going to be on national teams going on world assignments. I'm not as good as them by any means. And my dad took this picture because he was dying. It's all of these guys, and they're this tall. And then their heads line up with my shoulder, and there's my head. It looks like I'm standing on something, and I promise I'm not. I'm just not gymnast size. Most of them are like, you know, 5'3", 5'4", maybe like a tall guy at 5'6", 5'7". And then I'm standing there. And it looks like a cartoon. So yeah, I'm very tall for a gymnast. Um, one thing a lot of people don't know, like the the springboard for the vault, there's nine springs. If you're 120, you have nine springs. If you're 185 like me, you also have nine springs. It doesn't get adjusted. So there there are some disadvantages. I have broken uh, one springboard in my life. I hit it and it just cracked. I was proudest moment ever. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and I was going to talk about your height and how it interplays with like normal gymnast sizes because obviously most most gymnasts are are pretty small. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really like a strength to weight ratio sport in a lot of ways. And so, I mean, you started so young. I'm sure you never you didn't know until like well into your teen years how tall you were going to be. Um, nope. But as you were growing, like how did that interplay to your athletic career in high school and college? Um, it 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 definitely affected it. Um, it allowed me to do, I had more quote elegant gymnastics cause my lines were so long that when I did a move, it looked a little better just cause there's more of me doing it. Um, but when I was nine years old, uh, there's this program called future stars and it's where basically USA gymnastics looks for the next people that'll be on the you know national teams, potentially Olympic teams. And I think it was like the top 40 kids in the U S we would go to the Olympic training center and they had clinics for the parents. They had clinics for the kids. Like, they're training us. And my parents, not hyper competitive. I did gymnastics because I loved it. And they're like, woohoo, he likes it. We'll support him. A lot of these other parents were like, you know, helicopter parents. My kid does this. My kid does that. My kid has this score, that score. My dad's like, didn't fall on his face. I'm happy. He seems happy. We're happy. And we go in there. My mom was, I think, 5'8". My dad's 5'11". Um, like I said, my dad's 280, short arms. And they were in the parent conference and I remember my dad, my dad saying this because they were talking to the parents about, you know, here's the ideal genetic thing for gymnastics. Like if you sit down and you put your arms down, if they touch the floor, you have longer arms, it's easier. My dad's arms didn't even touch the floor. I have T-Rex arms too. I, they, people make fun of me for that. But apparently I remember my parents telling me, all the parents were looking around and they looked at my dad and my mom like, oh, don't God worry about that family because genetically – not not built for gymnastics. I mean, my dad was a lineman in high school and my mom played tennis, two very not gymnastic sports. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah, the funniest um, thing for me, whenever people meet me in person, like, you're not short. Because a lot of my videos, it's just me. 
And if you assume, oh, he's a gymnast, he does this, they just assume that I'm short. And then they meet me in person, like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. There's more of you. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I, I would have guessed that you would have been short too, not because you look particularly short in the videos, just because of like the natures of the movements. Yeah. Um, you, you would think that someone that was taller would have issues with a lot of that. I no, guess I um, have issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But you accomplish a lot too. Uh, like, and obviously you had been doing gymnastics since such a young age that you, you probably learned to handle your body as it developed. But I guess, did you have to do anything kind of, you know, special or or dedicated to try to overcome some of like the leverage disadvantages? Um, I, ha I did a lot of uh, physical therapy. I started doing posture exercises when I was, I think, five or six years old. Um, ankle rehab has been part of my daily life as long as I can remember. My ankles didn't really form right. Uh, destroyed my shoulder when I was 12, so I've been rehabbing that every day ever since with a TheraBand. Um, and that's one of the things that I've been really passionate about is, like I told you, I broke my back, destroyed my shoulder, and I didn't get surgery for those. I've had four surgeries, but those were unrelated to gymnastics. That's just because my body is frustrating sometimes. Um, but the thing is, with physical therapy, you can fix so many problems. And like the shoulder physical therapy, all you need is five to 10 minutes a day in a TheraBand, a simple little stretchy band. And I've taken people now, and this woman, she had completely frozen shoulder. Like she couldn't put her hair up. She couldn't really move her arm. And all she did was start following the simple physical therapy that I used to do for my shoulder. I shared it with them, and now she can put her hair up in a ponytail. If you do the work, if you work on the little exercises, if you develop those little muscles in the very frustrating little specific ways of moving everything, you can overcome a lot of things that your body's throwing at you. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that back injury and what it took to overcome it? Yeah. So the back injury, uh, I was starting to have pain in my lower back. Um, I was also combining a little too much contortion and circus with gymnastics at the same time and not really separating them as much as I should. You know, there's times that you should bring your foot around and put it on your forehead and that's not right before you go and do gymnastics. You know, you should probably do that afterwards, but I was excited and I was doing a lot of stuff and I had this pain and I got an x-ray and the x-ray tech, they, they said, no, no, you're good. It's, it's muscular. Your bones look fine. So I was like, oh, I'm going to push through this pain. I got this. And I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And then one day I got out of bed and my leg kind of gave out. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like the pain had been building too. So as the pain builds, you know, you get used to it. It gets more, you get used to it, it gets more, you get used to it. So then I got an MRI and I don't know if you've ever had one, but you know, you always ask them like, Oh, how does it look? And they go, Oh, we have to wait for the radiologist and this person who has this paper to tell you what's going on. So he goes, yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go do gymnastics right now. And he, the look on his face, he's like, no. And I was like, so you can tell me what's going on. He's like, I can't tell you anything. Just don't do that. And I was like, but I did it yesterday and I'm going to go back to training today. He's like, no, 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 no. Just, just don't bro. I'm telling you don't. And I was, it was at that moment where we were like, okay, if they're breaking the breaking the confidentiality here to tell me like, stop and don't do anything, it's bad. And it came through and it was two full fractures through my L4 on either side, spondylolisthesis. And yeah, after, once I started acknowledging that it was broken and stopped pushing through all the pain, my body just kind of seized up and it was like, all right, we're going to fix this. I went to a specialist at Stanford and he goes, okay. We put you in a back brace for a year. You're immobile. This is what we do. And I looked at him. He looked at me and he goes, 
And I know full well that if I tell you this, you're going to say, F this guy, go home, take the brace off and do what you're going to do. And I was like, oh, you read my mind. He goes, okay, here's what you can do. And if you promise me you'll actually do it, I won't put you in the brace. And it was core rehab three to four times a day, keeping it mobile, but keeping just building the strength, not pounding, not tumbling, uh, lying down in class when I needed to, and really just listening to it and not being that man who's like, oh, I'm going to push through the pain. He's like, this needs to heal. You're 16. You're young enough. It may or may not fuse itself back together on its own. Because, you know, I was, I was, you're still young. So sometimes, like, that's what happened with my shoulder. I was young enough that they were like, it might still fix it because you're still growing. So after an entire year of just doing a lot of core conditioning, really basic movements, I was able to go back to full-time gymnastics, did five years of collegiate gymnastics, went to Cirque du Soleil, did harness work, like harnesses like around my lower back, sideways, upside down, every which way. And my back never stopped me at Cirque. And that was broken to this through physical therapy, through just finding all of those little muscles to stabilize everything. And it's not the six pack. It's not those big spinal erectors. It's these little, little motions that you have to consciously work on that can actually fix most of your joints. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in, in past podcasts, if anyone has been watching, um, I've interviewed a physical therapist and talked with other athletes and almost all of them are big proponents of physical therapy. And, and really it's like the same, everyone has the same trajectory, right? Similar to you. It's like, we're doing something. We're really excited about it. We start to get a little bit hurt. We ignore it. We get a little yep. bit more hurt. We ignore it. And then until you end up having some sort of catastrophic failure and you're like, uh-oh. And then yeah. you sit down with the doctor and he tells you the same thing. He's like, yeah, you're going to have to take a year off. You're like, no, I'm not. It's not, I'm not going to happen. <laughs> and then you find a physical therapist who's like, okay, like you can keep doing your sport, but you have to do this stuff. Yeah. And then uh, if you have a good physical therapist, we'll explain to you like what's going on and why you need to um, do what you need to do to recover. And I know like for me and the stuff I do now, it's like a lot of the injuries become, come from like a lack of coordination or stability in like the smaller back muscles. Mm-hmm. Cause like the big muscles overtake the smaller ones and the smaller ones just kind of turn off and it, yeah. and it creates a bunch of problems. Um, so, I mean, it's cool to hear that you were able to successfully rehab that over the course of a year. And, uh, I mean, how is, obviously you've had a long career since then with a lot of extreme stuff and you're still doing crazy stuff, uh, today that everyone can see on Instagram and TikTok and stuff. But, um, what do you have to do these days to stay on top of the rehab or anything? Do you still have to do a bunch of rehab for it or does Every it, day. is it just kind of resolved still? Every day. Every day, especially because of what I'm asking my shoulders and my body to do with all of the, the handstand work, I'm starting to work towards building my own solo hand balancing act, which is going to require a lot more flexibility than I currently have. So I'm going to, I've actually started stretching more again. And you, you got to have all those stabilizers because if you're not balanced, something that a lot of people don't realize when you're pushing forward, like on a bench press and your pec is firing, if the muscles behind your shoulder aren't strong enough to counteract the pull of your pec, it's not going to be good for your shoulder. Something's going to give. The, pull, the push and pull has to be fairly even. And that's why even if somebody like overdevelops their chest and makes it super big, if you don't work the muscles behind, your body is not going to let your pec just pull your, your bicep and your arm out of your shoulder jo- joint. It's just not going to fire as much. So if you want to get stronger, you actually have to work every side of every joint. So your body is strong enough to push in the direction that it can. 
Yeah, definitely. And I've learned the hard way several times. If you like push a specialized movement too far in one direction, like eventually something will break or give, yeah. or you'll just plateau forever in the best case scenario. So yeah, that's great advice. Um, you know, so you, you mentioned going through all of this, uh, this rehab and it, I mean, you had injuries early on in your career and then you still went on to compete in college. I mean, you started gymnastics so young was competing in college, something that you always kind of dreamed of. Um, it was kind of just the path. It was, you know, you compete in juniors, then I'll compete in college. Then I'll go to Cirque du Soleil. I had this plan from the time I was like 10 years old. Apparently my dad told me when I was like six or seven, you know, obviously six or seven kind of cocky. He's like, Apparently, my backup plan, if the Olympics with gymnastics didn't work, was the NFL. Not sure why I didn't even play football, but in my head, it was just like, oh, you go to the Olympics for gymnastics. If that doesn't work, I'll go to the NFL. Obviously, we unrealistic, but that was the attitude that little me had. Um, but yeah, gymnastics in college was kind of always the goal where I was going to go, and then Cirque was going to come after that. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I guess being based out of Las Vegas, when we were first looking for people to help us with photo shoots and models, everyone we ended up hiring just happened to be like Cirque du Soleil performers yeah. because they all happened to be like jacked and ripped all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, we've, we've had the pleasure of like knowing a lot, a lot of Cirque performers and, um, you know, collaborating with them over the years. And they always tend to be just like incredibly fit people. I, I mean, gymnasts, gymnasts in general um, tend to always be really fit. I, I suppose like part of that's probably the demanding nature of the sport, but I guess there's probably a bit of, um, because body weight is such a factor, a bit of like overt pressure to stay relatively lean. Um, yeah, you could say that. Like I feel it when I was in college, um, obviously every machine is calibrated differently. I was never actually at 3% body fat because no one's ever at 3% body fat unless, you know, got an extra hundred pounds of roid muscle on them. But According to an in-body machine, I was 3% body fat at one point. And in all honesty, dude, you'd feel it. If I slacked off over the weekend, you go in, you drop into an iron cross on rings, you have an extra pound or two on you, it's you, you feel it. It's And especially once you get to that level of lean and you're repeating these skills so much, you're like a machine. It's like clockwork. That if anything is off, maybe you're a little bloated, maybe you went out and partied too much the night before. Friday nights, you know, we trained till 1030 on Friday night and we had workout at 1030 on Saturday morning. When I was captain, I just had a simple rule. As long as you perform on Saturday, we'll be fine. And, you know, the guys would come in and they would train, but you could see very clearly who got a good night's sleep and who did not get a good night's sleep. Yeah. And so, I mean, maintaining that kind of like low body fat, how much, how much work did you guys have to put into that? Um, we would train about six to 1030 every night, except for Tuesday. Um, and then Saturday was at 1030, 11 to three o'clock. I added in another, because I was so much bigger and I had so much more physical therapy to do and my joints are so unstable. And I would actually go in and I would do 30 to 45 minutes of cardio on the bike in the morning. We were in Seattle, so it had to be inside. Now I ride outside and it's great. Um, then I would do about an hour of weights, uh, weight training. And then I would do another 15, 30 minutes of physical therapy, whatever shoulder therapy, back therapy I needed to do. Then 10, 20 minutes, sauna, cold shower, sauna, cold shower, sauna, cold shower. Go home, eat, study, go train. So it was just this um, never-ending cycle of 
eat, sleep, train, study, repeat. Yeah. And you had obviously like the incredibly rigorous training schedule. Um, how much focus did you have to put on like nutrition and, and managing all that from that standpoint? You know, it honestly wasn't until I got to college that I even knew what my macros were, which seems rather stupid, but a lot of us don't know. There isn't a lot of, it's mainly like bodybuilders that I find that actually are able to focus on their macros and, you know, bulking and cutting and bulking is a little more difficult in gymnastics because if you get that extra fluff on you, your joints feel the pounding on floor. But nutritionally, um, A, I was on a college budget. So you also add that in there, but it's not that expensive to eat healthy. Go to Costco if you can and just get a big bag of quinoa, a bunch of big bags of quinoa. Get the 93.7 ground turkey or better yet for $2.99 a pound, you can get the little chicken tenderloins. It's just the raw chicken. I would marinate it in soy sauce, ginger, garlic, white wine, and water. Then it was actually like not chicken breast because chicken breast is disgusting. It's kind of like running to me. It's dry. It's chewy. I don't care how well you do a chicken breast. If you don't marinate it, I don't want it. Uh, so it's mainly quinoa, some form of chicken tenderloin, shrimp, or turkey, and then whatever vegetable was in season I could get my hands on. I was eating around 2,900 to 3,500 calories a day to maintain staying lean. And it was just and that, that was that, during that, that. college with like, yeah. that crazy training schedule. Yep. I'd assume now that you're out of all that, your training schedule's probably dialed back a bit from there, huh? It's dialed back significantly. Um, and actually, the whole pandemic, I've been pretty lazy, um, or my version of lazy compared to, you know, seven, eight hours a day of training. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I got my custom canes, and I was, I'm like, all right, we're going to get back into this. I have a strongman act that I do with one of my buddies, James, who also reps barbell. And I was like, all right, I, I want... I want to peak again. I want to be strong. I want to feel superhuman because I actually had low key. I had a breakdown. Uh, I was talking to my girlfriend because I was walking and I was just walking and I dislocated my ankle because my ankle's stupid and it does that. And it popped all the way out and I popped it back in and we kept walking. And I was like, I just, I don't feel like myself. I was like, you have never known me as myself. Like you think I'm strong. You think I'm flexible. You think I'm all of this but I don't feel like I felt at Cirque. I don't feel like I did in college because when you have that level of fitness and you're training that many hours a day, you get to this point where you actually, it's not like a mental thing. You, you are low key superhuman because you know your body so well, you know where it is, you know how it's going to act, you know what it's going to do for you. So then when you don't feel like that and then you hurt yourself doing something stupid, it's just God. So two weeks ago, I was like, you know what? No, not going to happen. I want to be feeling like myself again, feeling like my best self again. So now, uh, probably five, six days a week, I wake up, I do cardio on my bike, whether it's 30, 45, maybe a two hour ride, just get my heart rate up, get that, you know, blood pumping, heart rate raised for the rest of the day. Then I'll train either handstands, um, acro with some of my partners, or I'll go to LA fitness and I'll just start lifting weights in a very weird way because I lift specifically for what I'm doing. So I have a lot of like, you know, weird locked arm exercises. And I had a, actually had a trainer come up to me cause I'm working on a, do you know what a press handstand is? Yeah. I, I have this goal and I want to get a one arm press handstand and it's going to probably take one or two years to get to where I can do it. And obviously I need to be able to push down through this arm. So I have the cable 
I grabbed the camping machine. I'm just standing there like this, shrugging my shoulder, just pushing it down, pushing it down. It looks ridiculous because it's a weighted drill for a one arm press handstand. And one of the trainers walks up. He's like, Hey man, uh, you want to tell me like what, what's your thought behind the technique on like kind of condescending, like, Hey, let me help you. I had a jacket on. So you can't even tell that I'm strong. And it was like, you know, you know, when people walk up and it's just like, Hey little boy, you don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? And I just took my headphone out and I was like, Oh, this is a specific, you know, shoulder mobility drill for the, you know, so I can push down and get through the full range of motion for a one arm press handstand. Like, do you want to, do you want to try it? And he's like, as you were, just walked away. And it, that's, that's one thing. Um, like I, I do have a, um, a fitness app that I, I'm very passionate about because that's the energy in the gyms. I know we just kind of got a little sidetracked here, but that's the energy in the gyms that really upsets me because even being who I am, Cirque, America's Got Talent, Ellen, national titles, I still get made to feel uncomfortable in a gym. And if somebody at my level of physical prowess, like I'm a personal trainer, I have a fitness app and people still make me uncomfortable in the gyms, I can't imagine how someone who doesn't even feel comfortable with their own body has no idea how to work out or what they want to do. That fear of going into a gym, like that's awful. And I, I really sympathize. So that's why I created that, the little app that I have with that, which has the, the flexibility, the physical therapy and just simple at home workouts. Cause we need to get moving. We need to get healthy and you don't always need to leave the house to do it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of good things there. I think, you know, the, the first thing is that your level of specificity with all your training is really impressive and your ability to set goals kind of like quite far in advance. Um, cause I think, you know, for people that have been engaging in athletics for the greater part of their lives, they understand that, Hey, if you want to do X goal and it's something, you know, aggressive or far away from current capabilities, you may be looking at a one, two, three, four, five year yeah. progression path. Like I have athletic goals I'd like to accomplish. And I'm like, I'm 33 now. And I'm like, if I could do some of these things by the time I'm like 36, I'd be pretty excited <laughs> about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're quite, quite a bit out there. Um, but then being able to also have the foresight to say, okay, two years or a year or two before you're going to be able to do this uh, handstand press that you need to be working on this stability exercise, you know, a year or two in advance. That's, that's great. And, and also you're focusing all of your energy on that instead of maybe, you know, spreading yourself too thin across like, okay, well, I need to go in and do bicep curls because that's what you do in the gym. Well, it's like, no, if you, do, if you don't care about having massive bodybuilder biceps and your biceps are strong enough, you may not need to do that at all. You may, you may not yeah. need to do it ever again. Now, maybe you do, but um, it, the, you have enough knowledge as an athlete to kind of like self-direct yourself. But I think when you're talking about other people, the people you work with training or maybe random people listening to this podcast, um, the same thing could be said for like if you're just beginning your fitness journey in your gym and you feel uncomfortable, having a coach or someone who can help frame like why you're in there in your current state can give you a lot of that confidence you need because it's like, well, you know, I may not have a specific goal that I'm training for right now, but my goal is to build a strong foundation so that maybe mm -hmm. one day if I do have something I want to do specifically, there's that athletic base or the knowledge of how my body moves or that mind muscle connection that I've developed. And that's why I'm in here today. Yeah, no, there's definitely, I'm a big proponent of goal setting and you set your big goal. It's very important to have your long-term goal and then break it down into very manageable chunks because your brain needs that dopamine rush of doing something right. And you need to feel along the way that you're doing something right. 
So the first, one of the most uh, successful challenges in my app, I call it the morning challenge. And if anyone is listening, you don't even have to download the app to do this one. I'll tell it to you right now. Day one through 30, first day, you get out of bed as soon as your feet hit the floor. Don't go to the bathroom first. As soon as your feet hit the floor, one push up, one sit up, one squat. Day two, two. Day three, three. And I had people, and they said this entirely, like it changed their mindset on fitness because when you build up slowly, kind of like that big goal and having your little goals, when you build up slowly, you don't realize it. And you might feel silly on that first day, getting out of bed and doing one push up, one sit up and one squat, but you're doubling it the next day. And then you're going to be at three. Then you're going to be at four. At the end of the week, it's a week and you're going to do seven. And it's not going to seem like you've done that much, but by day 10, You've done 54 of each total and you just keep going, going and going. And then in the app, I don't remember what all of the extra challenges are, but I put an additional thing in each day. So maybe it's a pressure teeth with your non-dominant hand, open the doors with your non-dominant hand, you take the stairs, park as far away as you can in the parking lot and walk. It's these little things that you can do that'll help develop new habits in your life. And when you develop the habit of as soon as your feet hit the floor, you do something, your brain's going to give you a little dopamine rush because that's how our brains work. When we do something successful, our brain says, good job. Here's some feel good hormones. So maybe you got up, you did your one push up, one sit up, one squat. You are already completed your first task of the day. So then you're going to feel motivated to do it again because your brain wants another rush of serotonin or drop of dopamine in your brain. So you might turn around, look at your bed and be like, you know what? I'm going to make that today. You made your bed. Now you, you know, you go to the bathroom, you walk in, bed looks nice. You don't, you don't look at it like, oh, I haven't done this. I need to do this. I need to do that. It's I've already done this and you're going to move forward in a more positive way. So yeah, long-term goals, but have those short-term goals so you can actually feel good about yourself on the way there. Yeah. And to someone who's never really been exposed to doing that before, I think it's like, it can seem really boring. And it, it's like the, what I would say too, is it's like, you know, in a, medical or scientific sense, they call this titration, right? Where you start with like, if you were, you know, you start with a very small amount and then you add a little bit more and then add mm -hmm. a little bit more and you add a little bit more to build tolerance. And it's like, I had a pretty catastrophic injury, maybe it was like spring of 2019. And I was working with a, phys a physical therapist to rehab it. And he was basically like, Hey, do this activity until you can, until you're at like four out of 10 pain and and stay at that level and then add a little bit of weight as your pain allows and so i was i i was it was an exercise where i could do like body weight plus like 100 pounds right and um during rehab i had to take 30 pounds off of my body weight to even be able to do it at all wow and so i you know i'd, I'd take 30 pounds off and then one week i drop five pounds next session i drop five pounds and it's like it seems really grueling to do that but it adds up fast, right? That's yeah. 10 pounds a week. Over four weeks, it's 40 pounds. Over three months, it's 120 pounds. And then, you know, over like a four-month process, I was back to my my um, old PRs and, and setting new records. And it happens fast. But it's the same thing like if you're starting a new activity from scratch. Like start small and just mm -hmm. like be really dedicated about improving your capacity. And you can build like uh, – build your ability to do things pretty fast. Some of my friends and I joke about this, right? It's like, if you think to your head, like, what's the world, like, right? If, if I want to improve my ability to do pull-ups, I'd be like really, really happy if I could get to do, you know, a set of like 40 or 50 pull-ups. I could probably do around like 30 now. Um, that's more than I can do. Yeah, well, for, I'm I, so bad at pull-ups. My, my main sport is like rock climbing, so I spend a lot of oh, time doing pull-ups. Oh, okay, you're one of, the, you're one of those people. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's why I can do that many pull-ups. But it's like, man, if I could do 50 pull-ups, that'd be awesome, right? And you think, like you even said, oh, that's a lot of pull-ups. It is a lot of pull-ups. But like, if you Google any of these things, like what's the world record for a set of pull-ups? It's like so much more than anything reasonable you would think of. I don't know what it is off the top of my head for pull-ups, but I guess it's like hundreds of pull-ups in a set. Yeah, it's a lot. um, For for a world record. And it's like, if you are willing to put in the work and like have that long-term goal, like that guy didn't build uh, two... 800 pull-ups or whatever the world record is. He, he, he was like a tiny bit at a time, just kind of like chunking off on it. So like, I think that, uh, that ability, like even you forecasting now out what you need to do to, to build that one arm press is, is yeah. really cool. Well, like if you wanted to hold, you know, um, a handstand or a wall sit, a wall sit's simpler cause it's less, um, balance and it's just sit against the wall. If you add one second every day for a year, you're at 365 seconds at the end of the year, and you're not even going to know how you got there. Getting strong fast is hard. Getting talented fast is hard. Achieving things slowly with purpose just takes dedication. No, definitely. And I think now it's about time I ask you probably what a lot of people would be curious about, because we have a lot of like strength-based athletes, CrossFitters, weightlifters, Olympic lifters who uh, wind up listening to this. And after they go look at your stuff, they'll see what crazy flexibility you have. <laughs> so for your average person that would like to be more flexible, uh, what's the best way to incorporate that in their lives and uh, kind of like get that slow but constant progression in the range of motion? Um, I will shamelessly plug my app right now because the link's in the bio of my Instagram and I created it to answer that question because I was doing a lot of one-on-one training in the beginning of the pandemic and then I realized I could only take on, even if I did it, 40 clients a week because you only have, you know, 40 hours. And then I got so busy and I was doing everything. And it was like, I found myself recording videos of myself and sending it to some of my clients. And then I was like, this is stupid. So then I just put everything in one place. So the links in the bio of my Instagram, of my TikTok, I have follow along stretches. I have that shoulder physical therapy I was telling you about. I filmed that at the same banister in my house at home where I started doing that physical therapy when I was 12. There's been bungees on that railing since I was 12 years old. My dad does it every day when he passes and just commit to doing it every day. And especially with flexibility, it's going to come, it's going to go, it's going to come, it's going to go. It's just like when you're strength training, you know, you get stronger, you get stronger, and then you feel like you're not getting stronger. But at the end, you're always going to end up higher than you started. And I never want anybody, unless you're a true professional flexibility, to push yourself much much past a 6 out of 10 out of pain. When you get stronger and you stretch a lot, I can push myself to like 8, sometimes even 9, because I I know when it's going to damage and when it's going to not. And I'm in a headspace. I don't know if there's any science behind this, but I'm convinced it's true. So no one get mad at me for this. If I'm convinced that the reason that I was able to get more flexible than some of my teammates growing up, our coaches would sit on us now, you know, probably illegal, whatever. They sat on us. They pushed us down. We called it torture time. I wouldn't change a thing. I have a great relationship with my coaches still, but I relaxed into it and I was like, yes, they're helping me get more flexible. So I was excited about it. So I didn't have fight or flight. It was, we are all working together to get me more flexible. One of my other teammates 
hated it. He would cry. He would scream. He actually bit one of the coaches one time because he just didn't want to be in the position anymore. We were like six. And, but I'm convinced that part of the reason that he didn't get more flexible is because his brain went into fight or flight. So every time that he felt a stretch, no, I don't want to be here. Bad, bad, bad. And I'm convinced that that told his parasympathetic nervous system and his subconscious brain, this feeling, this range is bad. Whereas I was so excited about it and I would push, A, I'm able to go into the position. I stayed in the position. I wasn't biting anyone. But because I was telling my brain that it was good and we're excited about it, my brain's like, oh, well, yeah, let's do this some more. It's going to be fine. So when you're stretching, that's why I don't want you to push much past the six out of 10, because I want it to be something that you enjoy, that you look forward to, not something that you're, oh God, I have to stretch. Okay, I'm done. We want it to be enjoyable. I want your brain and your body to relax, to say, this is good. This is good for me. Go into it with a positive attitude, with a positive mindset that this is good for you. And I'm convinced that that helps you get more flexible and stay more flexible. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I've, uh, I have a good friend uh, here in Las Vegas um, that's a physical therapist. And he's, he, had, he did a lot of his uh, doctorate level stuff on pain science. And he often talks about this idea of like productive pain versus mm-hmm. like, real pain. And so it's like, that's, you know, what you're framing is, hey, keep in mind that like this pain and stretching is productive pain. I guess the caveat being like six out of 10 versus you yeah. saying you can go to eight or nine out of 10. It's like, you know, that line of when the productive pain actually turns yeah. into something <laughs> that actually hurts you. But a lot of people don't, right? They don't yeah. know what that is. Um, and that, like I've, I've, he, he jokes about it too. Like he'll be working with clients and they're like, oh, this hurts. And they're not doing anything <laughs> that, that would provoke like any sort of real dangerous pain. Yeah. And he's like, no, that's like what it feels like when your muscles and stuff are working. Like this is yeah. productive. It's supposed to hurt a little bit, but this is the good kind of pain. And uh, like, that's really interesting, I guess, like knowing that line when you're stretching uh, between like, hey, where you're where you're going to cross that line out of productive pain and into something that could be harmful. Um, have you ever done that stretching, gone to a place where it was like injurious? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was trying to, I've pulled my groin like two or three times trying to do it. I've since stopped trying to do it. But you go into middle splits and there's this guy online, Pavel Stankovic. If you look him up, he makes me look as stiff as a board. And one of the things he does, he'll go into middle splits and he just squeezes his legs together on like a hardwood floor and he can just squeeze his legs together and stand up. And I've always loved the concept. And every time that I've like started to get close, I've tweaked something or slightly pulled something. Um, The other time would have been, I think I was 16 or 17 and, you know, I had somebody cranking my leg over my head. So most of the time... I am a big proponent of unless the person stretching you is a complete professional, don't do it. Stretch yourself. Your body, especially not normal people, like non-flexibility-based artists or movement people, your body is not going to let you push yourself to a place that's going to damage you. So if you activate the muscles on both sides, like if you're going to touch your toes, I know a lot of people relax. I'm a proponent of squeeze your quad And fire your hamstring at like 10% value. You want to be active in the position that you're stretching, and then you're not very likely to tear anything. It's when you relax and then have some outward force pushing you further than you should go because you're like, yeah, I'm going to get super flexible today. Now, that's when you're likely to damage yourself. 
Yeah, no, and I'm, I've been told before that like a decent component of flexibility is strength kind of like in that end range of motion in your mm-hmm. body's ability to say like, okay, I'm going to let you go here because I know <laughs> that I'm capable of controlling it. Um, I guess like, is that something that you perceive too in your own flexibility? Oh, absolutely. There's definitely ranges. Um, it's something I've been working on more. Um, I am very passively flexible. My ligaments will stretch. My body will go to places that I'm not very strong. Um, this one guy, Kyle Craigle, he's a contortionist, hand balancer, and OVO at Cirque. He is one of the greatest examples of active flexibility. This man can take his tailbone, put it on the back of his head. He can lift his leg actively into a middle split, whereas I need a little bit of gravity to kind of help me sometimes. He is strong in these end ranges of motion, and both sides of his joints allow him to pull his leg into each motion. Like, my finger comes back to here. If I assist it, it'll bend all the way back. Obviously, this is it's not his finger, but like his hips are the same way where I can lift to here, but I'm capable of going to here. He has done so much active strength that he can just lift it to there. And that's significantly healthier, significantly safer, because then if you end up in that position, you can pull it back. So definitely active is way better than passive. Yeah, that's great advice. And I know I've had to do some like end range of motion work for like, um, you know, leg lifts and things like that. Yeah. And it's like really brutal, boring, terrible work because you're doing, you're doing like these tiny little things that are like super difficult and, um, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable and it also doesn't feel that productive because the progress is so gradual, but over time it does build into like significant results. It's just like, you got to deal with a pretty incremental progress to get there. Oh yeah, for sure. I think the, The funniest thing for me is I use very small weights a lot of the time. Um, One of the things I do for biceps and pecs is actually lay on my back. They're called the the Maltese presses because in gymnastics, you know, you have your planche, you have your Maltese, and I'll lay on my back, start in a normal bench position, but then I turn my palms to the ceiling. I completely lock out my arms, and I lift from inside the elbow pit, and my arms are straight going like this on my back. I'm up to like 35, 40 pounds now, but when you start, you can be using 10, 15 pounds because you're doing it with completely locked arms, which seems, you know, pretty stupid until they see the body that it creates. Because when you lock it out and you're doing this, you're using that leverage, you're forcing the joints to get stronger in that end range of motion. So then when I pick up something, somebody who just does like, you know, peaking curls all day, if they have to grab something with their extended arm, they're not strong there. Their ligaments and their tendons aren't used to being there. The muscle isn't used to firing extended. But if you strength train in all of the the ranges in the full range of your body, you're actually your movement and your just your quality of life is better. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I'll have to try one of those exercises. It sounds uh, it sounds pretty tough. Brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Sure. I made one of my roommates um, try it. And he was like, "Oh God, this is terrible." Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you talk about that because it's like I think a lot of people um, do end up pursuing exercise or, weight, or weightlifting for the aesthetic nature of it, right? They want to look a certain way. Yeah. They want to have a body that looks a certain way. And it's like you do have bodybuilders who achieve some really impressive physiques. But I'd say like outside of bodybuilders, like gymnasts or people into calisthenics or acrobatics or things like that, they have some of the most impressive physiques. And they're not typically spending a ton of time doing purposeful like bodybuilding, weightlifting or anything like that. Like you said, most of the weightlifting you do is like accessory work for <laughs> um, specific strengths or, um, you know, st- stabilizing muscles and things like that. Um, but it's like, you don't have to lift a bunch of heavy weight to build an impressive physique. No, I get uh, the most compliments I get are on my shoulders all the time. 
People love the shoulders. They love the range also of like of my bicep. And I notice gymnast biceps, if you notice gymnast circus performance, their biceps look like they go into their elbow. And if you look at bodybuilders and a lot of CrossFitters, they don't. There's going to be a lot of people arguing me over this. I don't have science backing to do it, but I do have the fact that if you look at most people in the CrossFit community and most people in the circus community, you'll see it. And I'm convinced it's because we work our long head of our bicep more with completely locked arms and range of motion. So that's just where it has to develop where we develop that part of the bicep because we're not just doing a curl. We're doing this and notice like you can see it in the bicep when you go here, it's here. When you go here, it's not. And we're always strong here and turned. And like my shoulders, I don't do these things, you know, the shoulder raisers. I use a five to 15 if I'm feeling really strong pound dumbbell. It's all. And I just go like this and then thumbs up and like this and then palms up and like this. But my arms are completely locked out. So if you take 10 pounds and you put it at the end of your arm, it weighs a lot more. Now you're not ego lifting. People look at you kind of funny, but your shoulders are going to look a lot better than theirs in the end. So you have the people that go into the gym. They want to do these big ego lifts because they want to look good. And ironically, they'd be better off. Their body's going to be healthier. They're going to be a lot more um, in less pain in their joints. And they're also going to look better if they would do more of these functional movements because we are attracted to functionality. That's why people like the gymnast body, the circus body. It's because it's, it's functional. It moves well, and it's really well-rounded. There's no imbalances. Yeah, and I think part of that innate attraction you're talking about too is like seeing the way a gymnast or an acrobat moves and just thinking like, man, that looks really like yeah. their, their bodies are so capable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it looks like a very like freeing way to be, right? It's like on <laughs> you know, on demand for lack of a better term. Like you can demand this crazy functionality of your mm-hmm. body. It's it's pretty cool. Um yeah, and, and like interesting anecdote. I used to see Jay Cutler, um, multiple time Mr. Olympia winner at a gym here in Las Vegas. And he was never lifting very heavy weights. I mean, <laughs> relative to your, to your average person, they might be heavy, yeah. but for like someone of his size and stature, they were not heavy. Like he'd be doing bicep curls with like, you know, 35, 40 pound mm-hmm. dumbbells. And this is like a, you know, house of a human being. Yeah. And I would, I, I he was always super friendly. Um, and in he, people would come up and ask him questions, myself included, and he'd answer you. And he just thought that it was healthier for his joints and better for his longevity. And that's all he needed to do to build the muscle. And so I was like, yeah, it wasn't about the weight. It was about the way in which he lifted it. And kind of what you're talking about, it's like leverage is a huge manipulator of, of how heavy something feels, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, like you said, if you try to do this with your shoulder, you could do a lot more weight than if you extend it all the way out to here. Yeah. And so manipulating those leverage points um, can allow you to lift more weights and also develop more functional range of motion. Like kind of one of the interesting, you're talking about the Maltese press, right? Yeah. I kind of like that because I end up doing a lot of things in my training where I have like locked off elbows because of the climbing and things mm-hmm. like that. And so it's like, I'm always looking for ways to be able to continue to train and work other muscles without having to put stress on the elbow joint. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. Like have, being able to do something like that with the elbows fully extended, it's like another you know trick. It you puts can use. it puts a lot of stress on the elbow joint in a in a very different way. Yeah, different way. It's not. It's more like the like this locked off position can mm-hmm. breed a lot of like tendonitis. Yeah, as opposed to like more extended. It's just different. You're not like really hammering like this area in here. Yeah. But, um, no, definitely something. No, I mean I try. think it's I think it's uh, just interesting to have all the unique perspectives and then. Um, 
as you formulate specific goals, you kind of like have all this stuff you can draw and be like, okay, this is what I need to do. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, the prototypical image of what you think someone is doing in the gym, like lifting big, heavy weights. It's like you can get really far with uh, a lot of different tricks. So uh, that's really good advice. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're coming up about at the end of our runtime here. Um, thank you for all of the insight today. We'll be sure to include, include links to uh, your Instagram and the app in the, uh, in the show notes. But why don't you go ahead and say it here in case someone's lazy and doesn't want to read. If someone wants to find you, follow you, check out the app. Where should they do that at? Of course. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok. Um, both of them are just my name, Nathan Tuji, T-S-U-J-I. And the link's in my bio of both of them. So you just got to click on that. It'll take you over there. It's a seven-day free trial. Get started. Look around. I got handstand courses taking you from no experience in a handstand to actually being in a handstand. Uh, Beginner get fit programs. I have my actual personal core circuit that I did during college. If you can make it through that without stopping, you are a beast because I don't do that one anymore. It is too hard. I don't want to do it again. I'll start doing it soon because like I said earlier, I'm starting to work out harder again, but it's called the Kilo Set. It's a thousand repetitions. You don't stop and it's brutal. Um, But I also have stuff for people who have absolutely no physical um, experience working out. Like I said, that morning challenge, the handstand challenge, uh, the flexibility and the physical therapy to get your shoulders completely unfrozen. So everything you need to just get moving, get more comfortable in your body, it's up in there. The link is in my bio of all of my socials. Yeah, that's awesome. And for everyone listening, this is a great way to start. Um, I mean, if you have specific fitness goals, there's some some great stuff to be gleaned from this. But if you're just kind of like on the beginning of your journey, um, building a strong foundation where you're capable of handling your own body weight and you have a strong core and you have a good baseline of flexibility sets you up to be able to basically chase after whatever athletic yeah. endeavors that you want to pursue without this huge risk of getting injury or not being capable of something. So I think that, um, you know, I, I have two kids as they get older, if they want to pursue gymnastics, I think that's a great way to formulate a foundation. Um, but just the perspective you bring to it is, is really healthy and well-rounded. So thank you for your time today. Um, we really appreciate working with you as a barbell apparel athlete and we're excited to see what you do with the future. Uh, everyone check out Nathan Tuji on Instagram and TikTok, and, uh, give his app some love. If you're looking for some, <laughs> some, uh, fitness routines or coaching, uh, Nathan, thank you again for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. Yeah, guys, prehab, prehab, take care of it before it breaks. That's the last thing I'll leave you with. The check engine light comes on, deal with it. Don't wait till the engine explodes to take care of your body. Yeah. And if, if, uh, like you said, if something does break, you got to stay on top of the rehab, uh, potentially forever. So uh, (laughs) make sure that you take care of it beforehand. And, um, if you do get to that point where you're injured, uh, make sure you, you work with a physical therapist to get a fix. So yeah, thank you again, Nathan. And, um, hopefully we'll have you back on soon and we look forward to seeing what you do with the rest of the year and into 2023. So have a good rest of your Monday, man. Sound good. You too.